just want to see who's out there because I kept I kept asking people like when's the last time you saw a person of color in like a leadership role in aquaculture, culture and like people were like other than you like nobody and so it really like started as like a mission of like well I'm gonna find people because I know I can't be the only one and if I am that's really alarming and people shouldn't be saying that really casually. Welcome to the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast, where we talk to influential women about their experiences in research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and mentorship in the aquaculture industry. My name is Jean Coden, and I am the digital editor of Aquaculture North America. Happy Women's History Month, everyone. Now to celebrate, I've got two announcements to share before we get into this episode. Right off the bat, I just want to thank our community of readers at Aquaculture North America for embracing this project of ours. Our team has gotten some great feedback from our first two episodes, and people have reached out to us, sharing their connections and recommending other female colleagues, and it's been so great to see so many people participate. Honestly, I just wish I could feature them all, and there's just not enough months in a year to be able to feature all of these wonderful women's stories in this podcast. But I think we've come up with a great solution. So we've opened up a new online submission form where anyone can share their own stories and maybe stories of other female colleagues. Go to aquaculturenorthamerica.com slash women and at the top of the page you'll see a header image that says share her story. That will put you through to our online questionnaire where you can send us stories and photos and they may be featured online and in our newsletters. So please send them in. We'd love to read all of them. So that's the first announcement. The second announcement is that we'll be hosting a virtual event later this year. On September 8th, we'll be bringing together women aquaculturists from across the continent for the Women in North American Aquaculture Summit, otherwise known as the Winners. Do you get it? Do you get the pun there? You know we love puns in this podcast, so I hope you like this one. Everyone is invited to this free virtual event. You can register and find more information about this on our website, aquaculturenorthamerica.com, and it's under our events tab. Keep an eye out on our website because we'll have speakers and session agendas and all of those details to share with you later this year. Now, this episode is an educational one, I think. Imani Black is our guest today. Imani is the founder and CEO of Minorities in Aquaculture, a nonprofit organization that she started on her kitchen table in the middle of a pandemic. Can you believe it? We talked about her experience as a Black woman in the aquaculture world and her own search for minority stories just like hers. We'd of course like to thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. Now, please enjoy the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast with Imani Black. Welcome, Imani. Thank you for being in our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm super excited to have you. Um, I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, My first question always for our guests is what inspired you to choose a career in aquaculture? Um, Well, my journey into aquaculture was uh, a little unexpected. Um, I've known that I've wanted to do conservation and restoration for a long time, um, ever since I was a, a, a young kid. And um, so, you know, just throughout uh, um, kind of like figuring out what I wanted to do, um, you know, I kind of went different paths, you know, tropical biology, 
um, you know, thought I wanted to be a tropical researcher that like, you know, traveled the world and went to cool places. Um, but then I, you know, got an internship with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation doing oyster restoration and love that. And then long story short, my boss at the time, Jackie Shannon, um, she had suggested that I, you know, look into the Virginia Institute of Marine Sciences oyster ocker culture training program. My God, it's a mouthful. Um, but <laughs> she, um, she basically was like, you know, if you're really interested in, you know, oyster restoration, then you should look into ocker culture. And I had never heard of ocker culture and I was still um, finishing up my senior year of college. And so um, I applied to the OAT program and um, they were willing to work with my schedule because I was also playing lacrosse too. And so that was like my first introduction to ocker culture. And then from there, I've just sort of stayed in the industry, um, just, you know, job after job and um, have just like, you know, over time have grown to really love it. Where do you study now? What are you studying? Um, so currently I go to um, the University of Maryland Center for Environmental Science at Hornpoint Laboratory in Cambridge, Maryland. Um, and so I am currently studying like ecological anthropology. Um, so really looking at the historic uh, minority, but specifically African-American contribution um, to Chesapeake Bay commercial fisheries, but really looking at it from an, the ecological barriers, obviously, you know, when the, the Bay's fisheries crash, but also um, the social barriers. So how did those ecological changes, you know, really shift the culture and the society of, you know, a lot of coastal communities on the Chesapeake Bay um, that were, had predominantly, you know, African-American communities that were really relying on the fisheries. And then really seeing, you know, what was the domino effect of why we see a lack of minority engagement today in fisheries. Are you also working at a farm right now? No. When I started Minorities in Agriculture, I kind of shifted from uh, being in the commercial side of agriculture for six years and then sort of put that on the back burner unintentionally because I started Minorities in Agriculture and then got the opportunity to go to school. So now I'm in academia agriculture. Yeah, we'll definitely talk a little bit more about minorities and aquaculture, your nonprofit organization later on. It's sort of the main reason I wanted to talk to you and pick your brain. I asked our guests a little bit about their typical workday and what that looks like. So when you were working in commercial aquaculture, what was your first job, by the way? Um, my first job was um, right out of the oat program. Um, so it was on a farm in Virginia. So like right, it was probably like an hour away from um, where Virginia Institute of Marine Science is. And so I was working, doing, you know, nursery work, farm work, um, and a little bit of hatchery work. And I was, you know, the only woman out of like 15 guys. So that was like my first like true commercial um, aquaculture experience. What was that like? Um, it was interesting, <laughs> to say the least. All the guys, you know, over time um, became really good friends of mine. And, you know, I'm still like good friends with them now. Um, but I can't lie that in the beginning, it was a little tough to navigate because I, you know, was coming right out of college. Again, you know, I played division one lacrosse. So I was used to the physicality, you know, every day, you know, for six hours a day, you know, all year round. So that part of the job, like, wasn't the issue. It was the fact that, you know, I was um, looked at as like not being able to do the physicality of the job that really frustrated me. So there was a, like a lot of growing pains, but also like 
learning curves of like how to approach a situation so that you can really get your point across of like, if I need help, I will ask for help. And so it kind of took a little bit, but, you know, I, I really kind of asserted myself and really asserted kind of my boundaries in a lot of the areas that I was working in. And so um, I think like over time, the guys like really respected that, um, but also too, they, they kind of knew over time that I wasn't going to take any crap from them. And so they kind of were like, all right, well, she's, she's one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember like an example of when that happened and how that changed over time as I guess you guys got to know each other more and started to gel more as a team? Yeah, well, I think at the time, um, if I remember correctly, they hadn't had a woman working on like the farm farm in like about three or four years. The only other woman that was there was the um, owner's wife, but she was like up in the office most times. So, you know, in the beginning, you know, I remember there was, of, of course, like the first day um, that you go, I actually did like an externship through um, the oat program at that farm. So I could kind of, you know, that was like kind of our way of um, seeing what, like what a day in, like on an oyster farm was like. And like, if we, you know, um, with the potential of being hired from that farmer or that farmer organization. And so that happened. So I remember the first day that I, I went there, it was like, you could feel how many eyes like were on you. Like people were like coming out of like the woodworks, like, who is that? And so over time, you know, it took a couple of months of me carrying like a tote of oysters that like wasn't even, you know, that heavy. Um, somebody like trying, you know, multiple people trying to take it out of my hand of like, oh, no, 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 like, where do you need it to go? Like, this is too heavy for you. And me having to be like, no, like, I, I've got it. Like, I will, like, I appreciate it, but like, I'll ask you for help. There was a couple like moments like that in the beginning, but, you know, over time, it like kind of, you know, it changed. Mm-hmm. Was it ever like a direct conversation of like, you could, you guys don't have to worry about me or I'm just one of the team? Oh, yeah. Yeah, not like in, in the beginning, not so nicely. Oh, really? Um, well, I would I would say not so nicely from my side. And I'm only saying that because I think that at a certain point when you're a woman in an all-male workspace, you have to be really assertive. And at times, like, you know, I hate to say the word like aggressive, but like you really have to like really put your foot down and make that boundary known um, whether they get, you know, like, you know, upset about it or, or not, you know, like you really have to like set that boundary so that they know early on um, that like, that's where you stand. Um, so yeah, that would be like the only reason why I would say like, it was like kind of negative in the beginning, but I think like, as I really grew in the position and like where I was and really got comfortable with what I was doing and kind of reminded myself, like I had just went to one of the most recognized like oyster aquaculture programs in the country like I, I know like what I'm talking about. Um, that's when it like, if I need help, I will ask you for help. I'm, I'm not one of those people that's going to like struggle or like whatever. Like I've been on teams, like lacrosse teams my entire life. Like I know teamwork makes the dream work, you know, like as cliche as that sounds. But so I really had to like communicate what I was feeling and why I was feeling that. And, you know, kind of like reassure them that like, I'm not trying to hurt myself. Like I've like guaranteed I've been lifting heavier than anybody else here for the last four years. Cause I've been killing my body playing division one lacrosse. And, you know, I'm not trying to, you know get in anybody's way or anything like that. I'm just trying to work and do my job the best of, that I can just like you guys are. So. 
you've only been in the aquaculture industry, let's say less than 10 years. Yeah. So around, uh, this will be like my seventh year, I think. Yeah. Um, have you found female role models in the industry? Like who do you, who are your mentors? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the O program was like such a beautiful thing for me. I, I think it for really people got- don't know who the, what the O program is. Can you explain it a little bit? Yeah, so Virginia Institute of Marine Science is in Gloucester, Virginia. So they're a branch um, off of William & Mary. It's called ABC, which is like aquaculture breeding and it's like breeding center. It's like genetics and and breeding. And so um, pretty much, you know, the director, the former director there, Stan Allen, um, he was one of the pioneers that, you know, kind of cultivated the tetraploid and triploid oyster. Um, so a lot of that um, kind of ploidy work and genetics work is done there. And so in the OAT program, it's a six month program that you just go through all the different stages of what they do um, for oyster aquaculture um, from hatchery, you know, nursery to um, going out to their grow out sites, going out, you know, um, doing like different, you know, experiments and lab work and stuff like that. So yeah, it kind of just like gives you an overview of like, you know, the different avenues that you can take in oyster aquaculture. Before I went to the O program, I had really, I really good mentors. I, you know, was working with Chesapeake Bay Foundation doing the oyster restoration. And that was a crew full of women. Um, you know, like, uh, like I was saying before, my boss, Jackie Shannon is still at uh, CBF now. Um, and she, you know, has always been a huge supporter of mine and someone who I've really looked up to and like, you know, have been able to call and like ask, like, you know, if I had questions. And I think that moment like really set me up for VIMS because VIMS also has really great women that are like the head of their kind of their hatchery and their like oyster aquaculture um, program. Um, so, you know, my, my boss, Jess Small, um, Lauren Gray, Amanda Poole, um, they were like my three main bosses there and I still talk to them to this day. And even when I was like going through kind of my like, I don't really know what I want to do, especially like working with, you know, 15 guys like by yourself, like (laughs) I would have days where I would be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I want to leave. And, and they would, you know, I would call them be like, in just kind of like tell them and they would, you know, talk me off the ledge and be like, you know, like, it's going to be okay. Like, it's fine. You know, here's some options. They would send me job openings and things like that. Um, be my references. So yeah, I would say like, you know, I got really lucky in the beginning of my aquaculture career to have like really great female role models that I could like look up to and like really admire as I've continued on with my journey. Yeah. It must be so, I don't know, really valuable to hear other women's stories, especially when you're working in that first job in that environment of being the only female on the team. It really kind of just like puts me into the normal pool of women that are working in aquaculture. Um, Every, you know, sort of every woman that I talk to, we sort of have the same journey, but even though like some of those things are at different times, like, you know, something happened later in your career, but happened a little earlier for mine, but it's been nice because you don't have to explain what, you know, what it's really about. Like when you go through something, like 
I feel like as women, we really, um, we have to like over explain to society because people don't really like believe us or like whatever, like all of these things um, or our opinions don't really matter. And so when you talk to another woman that's like been through similar things that you've been through in life and in your career, um, it's just an open conversation. It's just an open connection that just like really kind of helps you not feel so alone. Like when you go back to your like everyday job. Mm-hmm. You said that you used to be working at the commercial fishing side before you switched over. Is that because of what you're doing now, studying your post-grad? Uh, yeah, again, uh, a little bit um, unexpected and unconventional. Um, so I, you know, was let go of my job uh, in 2020, um, May of 2020. I was the assistant hatchery manager um, for the first privately owned um, shellfish hatchery in the state of Maryland. And so I'd been working there for about two and a half years as the assistant hatchery manager. And so, um, yeah, so I was let go from that job in May of 2020. And then I sort of was just like, that was like right in the hype of, you know, diversity and inclusion and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. You know, I think George Floyd happened the week after that, the week after I was let go. And so that really like, you know, struck me as a person of color that like, you know, this was happening, but then also too, it just, moved me in this direction as I just was seeing the pieces, you know, kind of coming to the forefront that like minorities and agriculture, you know, my nonprofit organization was like something that like I could do and then I probably should do. And then the school part kind of came later. Um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my own personal career. Um, so I realized that I was going to help other women of color with their career. But then I was like, Imani, like you're still a woman of color in aquaculture. Like you can still have your own career too. Like I still have my own, you know, aquaculture goals. And so, um, you know, I was like talking to one of my former coworkers who works at Hornpoint and worked at Hornpoint at the time. And so she told me about um, the advisor that I have now that he was still taking on grad students. And so that's how I kind of got into that realm. I actually like swore off going to school. Cause I had been out of school for like six years at this point. And I was like, I'm not going back. I'm just going to be a noise farmer. Like people have, I've got mixed like signals about like, you should go get your master's or PhD or nah, like look at my career. Like I, I don't have that. Like I'm doing fine. Um, and I was making like really great, a really great salary. So I was like, I'm, I'm cool with this. And then, you know, it's sort of just like changed like everything in 2020. And so I took a different route and just like kind of took opportunities that were like presented to me at the time. Was there a specific moment where you decided I am going to start this nonprofit? Like what was the ultimate catalyst for that? Yeah, there was, I I think there was like a, there was a few of them. So like I said, you know, just the spark and the heightened emotion, you know, around the conversation of diversity and inclusion and, you know, like racial justice and, you know, all of those things and how I felt about them as a person of color myself. Um, but also, you know, at the time I was like really frustrated with where I, what, where my personal career was going and like what had happened in like the past like year that, you know, I was kind of trying to work through um, some things. And so the main catalyst would, is a, an encompass of all of those things, but it's like also to um, when you realize that an industry that you love, that you've like are dedicating your life to, that you're, you know, like you fully support and you are fully invested in when you see like that, like that, like sort of industry, not speaking up about something that like personally affects you. I kind of felt like, well, 
dang, like I've been dedicating my like life to this and it doesn't really seem like I have like that big of like a place here. Cause like not really a lot of aquaculture organizations were like putting out statements about diversity inclusion or the Black Lives Matter and Solidarity or anything. And the ones that did were, you know, at, you know, kind of their action items would be like, we're gonna bring this topic to like conferences and forums and things like that. And to discuss how we can start getting aquaculture more diverse. And I was like, well, those conferences cost like $300 plus, like who are, who are you gonna be talking to? And two, nine times out of 10, the people that are gonna be having those conversations are not gonna look like the people that you're gonna try to target. And so it was like in that moment that I was just like, okay, enough of the imposter syndrome. Like you just gotta, like, you've gotta do it. And like my original kind of like thought was like, I just wanna see who's out there. Cause I kept, I kept asking people like, when's the last time you saw a person of color in like a leadership role in aquaculture? And like, people were like, other than you, like nobody. And so it really like started as like a mission of like, well, I'm gonna find people. Cause I know I can't be the only one. And if I am, that's really alarming. And people shouldn't be saying that really casually, like, well, you're the only one that I know. And I'm like, you don't see an issue with that? <laughs> like, so I think it was a combination of things, but I think that just kind of seeing all the pieces, like I said, coming to the forefront, um, I couldn't ignore them. And I really just, before I knew it, I was Googling, how do I start a nonprofit? What even is a nonprofit? What, you know, printing out paperwork that I had no idea even like what it even meant, but I sat at my kitchen table and I did it. And, you know, we became a 501c3 um, in July of 2020. Wow, that's amazing. It really is a testament to your passion for you to really take up the cause and take that leap of faith of it. Essentially, you mentioned that you Googled how to start a nonprofit. A lot of really good ideas kind of happened that way. It just took some passionate, um, bold person to really take an idea and run with it. So it's very cool. Thank you. <laughs> now, I want to talk to our listeners um, just a little bit, because for those who might be thinking, oh, Imani Black's name sounds familiar, but that's because um, if you're a reader of the Aquaculture North America, she was our cover girl for our May-June 2021 issue. Um, so yeah, let's celebrate that for a second. For those who haven't seen it, um, go check it out. We have it on digital edition on our website. But yeah, Imani, how did that feel? Oh my God, I cried like a baby. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I'd be like completely honest. Like I, you know, one, it was so surreal because I'd taken a, a short-term position in, um, in upstate New York at Hudson Valley still had, you know, fish hatchery. Um, because I kind of, you know, MIA, MIA had started, the wheels had, you know, started going. Um, I wasn't planned to start school until the beginning of 2021. And so I kind of had, you know, I was like, I'm itching to get back into work. Like I'm itching to get back into like what I know. And so at the, you know, at that year, you know, in 2020, my, my best friend had moved up there and, you know, I, you know, looked up um, different hatcheries in the area, just like kind of just exploring. And, you know, I got the, the position there, you know, I was there for about four months or so. And I remember the last week I was there, the owner of Hudson Valley was on the cover of, of um, Aquaculture North America. And I remember seeing it in the break room. And I was like, that's so cool. He was like holding a fish. Like he just looks so awesome. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, I can't wait. Like, 
I hope one day I can, you know, be like significant enough to like be on the cover. And then a couple months later, yeah, I cut got, too. I got an email about the interview and I was like, okay, like, all right. So I'm gonna be on the pages of like Aquaculture North America. Cool. I can take that. Like, awesome. And then I got the preview back and I was on the cover and I was like, I didn't like <laughs> the, the email. Like I was like, I don't think this is real. Like, I don't think I'm seeing this correctly. Um, but it wasn't until I got it in person that it really like hit me. Um, because it took me right back to that moment in the break room. And I was like, wow, like only a few I, months ago, <laughs> yeah, only a few months ago was I like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I can't wait till I'm like that, you know, you know, powerful enough or impactful enough to the industry where they feel like they, you know, should put me on the cover of anything, you know? And so, um, yeah, that was a really, really powerful moment for me. And, um, I've got it framed because that's, <laughs> I never thought that that was going to happen. Um, that was like on the goals for like five years from now. So yeah, we were so happy to have you on the cover and so happy to kind of tell your story, help you tell your story. Well, how about for those who have yet to be to read your cover story um, at Aquaculture North America, why don't you tell us about Minorities in Aquaculture, that organization and sort of your mission there? What do you guys do? My notice in agriculture is um, a variety of, of different things. Um, you know, our mission really is to get women of to educate, empower, and support women of color that are um, currently in agriculture, but also um, women of color that are interested in agriculture, and just be a lifeline for them as they're building their careers on their own terms. And so. You know, for us, it's it's really about the connection piece because, you know, like I said, I had never met another woman of color before in my workspace. I had never worked with another woman of color before other than like, um, you know, one or two like Hispanic women that were like, you know, coming in and out of the hatchery, but like no one that was like really in a leadership role, no one that like had like a, a salary job like I like like I did. And it wasn't until I went to um, New York that I, you know, met my first woman of color that was like uh, the um, nursery manager. And I was like, can I be hired like today? Like, I don't, I just like want to talk to her. Um, and so that feeling has just like really resonated throughout my nurse and culture, because for a lot of our members, you know, I take the time to like talk to each one of them, like, you know, just for a couple of minutes over zoom and or on the phone and so they're like you know you were my first woman of color that i'm seeing that's participating in aquaculture also so that moment is really awesome but it's you know really like about like i said having them be exposed and educated and feel like they're supported and empowered to break the barriers that we are facing as women in aquaculture um to go for those jobs to you know to do those certifications, to like get their captain's license and their boater safety's license and, you know, uh, get certified in welding and carpentry and, you know, all, all of those things and plumbing and all of the things that, you know, are really needed on farms and in the aquaculture industry that sometimes women aren't usually given the opportunity to learn. Um, MI is really like kind of like a headquarters for, for us. And I'm saying us because I'm a woman of color as well it's a headquarters for us where we can come together, really connect with each other, learn from each other, but also provide uh, opportunities like internships, field experiences um, through our partnership program, um, just different things like really getting them out there um, into the field and exposed to whatever aspect of aquaculture that they're really interested in. 
So when did MIA officially launch? I think you said June or July of last year. So paperwork wise, July of 2020, and then officially launched like website, all of that October of 2020. So October. Okay. I'm sorry. 2020. (laughs) I still think I'm in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) The pandemic has molded it all together. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How large is MIA right now? Like what is the administration team? Is it a one woman show right now? How can people get involved? Right now, um, it is a one woman show. So I started it, you know, um, as a one woman, as you know, one person team. Um, In 2021, I so graciously had um, the opportunity to bring on a full time well, part time slash full time um, employee, and also um, to bring on an intern um, that was in that was like a partnership that we had with Noah to do um, communications for us. And so yeah, since then, those have ended. And so now I'm just kind of like from working from ground zero, just trying to figure out, you know, what are the different things that are like our members need right now, we have about 33 members, which is insane, because when we started 2021, we only had one. And like, it's, I just can't. Every time I talk to another member, I'm just like giddy. And I just like, you know, talk too much. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm just like really excited. Cause like, I never really thought this was going to be like a real thing, but yeah, so we're growing. And I think that, you know, all of our members either on the East coast or West coast, and we have um, a few international members too. So uh, Italy, Norway, Sri Lanka. So yeah, it's, it's really coming along and, you know, we've had a really great opportunities to be able to provide these, you know, paid internships and opportunities for our members. Um, We've had a lot of support, you know, with just donations and just, you know, different partners and just, you know, aquaculture farmers and things like that. So yeah, we're, we're at a good trajectory right now, I think. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So what's difficult about diversity and inclusion and talking about it in the industry is that there's not a lot of data that investigates this specifically. Um, what have you found and what have you learned from the data that does exist? Yeah, well, I think, you know, um, again, in the journey of like really trying to figure out what I wanted to do and, you know, if I really wanted to, um, you know, kind of like in the beginning thoughts of minorities in Ankara culture. So before any paperwork, I understood my own family history. So like I come from a 200 year long, you know, legacy of watermen in like on the Eastern shore of Maryland, no, no idea. Um, And so that was really cool to learn, but then also learning about other African-Americans that were really influential and had huge contributions um, in the Chesapeake Bay. At one point there was over 900 Afri- you know, black watermen on the Chesapeake and now there's only nine and they're all over the age of 60. So, you can, you can see that there's like an, a piece of our heritage and our legacy that's like actively fading away. Like if you take out the diversity and inclusion piece of it, which is like definitely a foundation and a pillar of everything that I'm trying to do. But if you just look at it from like a traditional marine occupation that like really held a lot of weight and still does for a lot of coastal communities and just for our world in general, we can't allow like, legacies and, and and history and heritage fade away like that that makes us like that makes our unique and rich history so I've just learned through just throughout the time that like 
a lot of things aren't as they had seemed to me when I grew up on a coastal community and that, you know, African-Americans and minorities were the prominent people that were working in fisheries. You know, fisheries wasn't looked at as something glamorous that people wanted to do or whatever. Even living on the water wasn't something glamorous at the time. Um, and that's where a lot of minorities, especially black people were pushed to the waterfront. And that's like really why they got into fisheries because that was not just because it was like a job but it was like about their livelihood. Like that's how they supported their family. That's how they fed their family. They learned like the waterways like and navigation. Some of them to escape, to escape slavery, you know, the infamous Frederick Douglass used the waterways of the Chesapeake Bay to escape slavery. Um, and another, you know, really influential African-American on the Chesapeake, Henry Highland Garnett, who also was like an abolitionist and also escaped to New York from slavery because he, of his knowledge of the Chesapeake Bay and the waterways. So you can see it like really is engraved in like a lot of things that minorities have done. And when you think about just the different demographics of minorities and, and those, you know, communities, it, it's not just African-Americans, it's, you know, Hispanic, it's Hispanic men and women as well. Like, you know, especially Hispanic men, they've been laborers and still are laborers on a lot of farms. Um, they're, you know, the women are in the packing houses, in the crabs, you know, picking houses, in the shucking houses still. And so, yeah, it's, it, it was like about time for me to like really see that so that I could appreciate that. And like now all of those things are at the forefront of what I stand for and like what MIA stands for, because it's really not about bringing minorities into like this new space of aquaculture. It's really bringing us back home into something that we were like already into and that we kind of like built the table, built the room and the chairs, the rug, everything that everybody sits at now, who claims to have started or like whatever commercial fishing it's like, no, 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 no. Like you're missing key people here. Um, there would be no table or would be no room if it wasn't for these minority contributions. So yeah, I think that that's just like such an important piece to like get out there. And that perception is something with my research that I'm really gonna, I'm really pushing for because there's not a lot of firsthand accounts of what African-Americans and what other minorities went through, you know, what their accomplishments were in commercial fishing. You mentioned that you're working on your dissertation now, um, but what's next after you've graduated, you got your diploma, what's next for you? Oh, that's a, that's a hard question. What's that's the dream job? Uh, <laughs> it's only hard because there's so many just things like that are, that could happen. There's so and what a blessing that is to have different opportunities yes, absolutely. Um, after, you know, you get done something. So right now it's like, I, I feel like I know I, and I feel like I actually am, I'm building my career, my future career as I'm doing all these things um, in multiple different, multiple different ways. You know, I, when I graduate, I might go and um, one of my goals, talking about personal anchor culture goals, it was, is to do international anchor culture. That's always been one of my goals. Anybody who like truly knows me knows that I like have not shut up about trying to go to New Zealand and do anchor culture. Like, Okay. And so, um, so yeah, that's, you know, one thing. So if I finish my, my master's, you know, maybe PhD, you know, somewhere internationally, 
Um, if not PhD right now or after that, then, you know, I've got a couple of like really big projects um, and facilities and stuff that, you know, kind of are, are going to need um, kind of six months of my attention to really get off the ground and, and really get um, situated and finalized. So I might go and do that. I might just work on MIA and take a break and just do one thing at a time instead of 10 different things at one time. So it's all up in the air, but it's, it's super exciting just to like kind of know, but not really know what's like kind of what the future kind of holds. We've talked about the vision for you and for your career. What's your vision for MIA? Definitely without a doubt, like I see, and I've always seen um, MIA being an, you know, international recognized organization. Um, not just because, you know, I, you know, I, I want it to be, you know, big and all these things, but because there's other women of color out there that like need, that need our support. Um, especially in global aquaculture, there are tons of women of color that are really the backbone of our global aquaculture industry. And they are not getting the support or recognition or acknowledgement that they deserve. And so I fully plan on connecting with as many women of color as I can, um, whether they are currently in aquaculture or they are trying to get into aquaculture. I want it to be as many women that want to come into our family and into our community um, as possible um, to be able to provide them with the funding and the opportunities that they that they need, like I was saying before. Another one of the, like the vision and kind of goals for MIA is <laughs> and it's like kind of it's kind of weird to say, but I, I said it in an interview and then, you know, people were like kind of like, oh, OK, like there's a little bit of like oomph behind that. But what I said was that I want I'll know that MIA has done its job when a member has that she is in minorities in aquaculture on her resume and that employer doesn't need to look at anything else. Like, oh, you're an MIA. I already know that you can't, you're coming correct. You know what you're doing. You've had the training. You've had the opportunities. You've had the experience. You're hired. That's when I'll know that MIA has like really made an impact when like people know that we are providing and producing members that are really going to be impactful into the industry and that they're hungry for them, that there's no hesitation, that they are fully capable and aware to go in and just like tear it up, just like do what they got to do and just rock the industry and to just like, you know, kind of really have that punch. And so I would say those are probably my two biggest goals. The last one is definitely um, probably is that's probably when I'm going to retire is when that happens. <laughs> just kidding. I probably won't. But that'll that for me will be like, OK, I can take a breath now. Like, OK, we're we're, we're doing all the things that like we set out to do. Yeah, I'll be really happy when that when that moment comes. How can other aquaculturists get involved? If anybody who, you know, is a works at a farm, owns a farm or anything like that, you know, we have a partnership program that is continuously growing. Those are like where the opportunities are provided. So through our partners, you know, they're all from different states of, of aquaculture farms, all different kinds of aspects from, from kelp to mussels to oysters to catfish, you know, to any type of fin fish, to coral, um, anything that like aquaculture really touches, 
you know, reach out. We're, we would love to have you a part of our partnership program. Anybody that is, you know, really dedicated and devoted to changing the perception and the impact of diversity and inclusion in Ankara culture and wants to join the join force, forces, like definitely reach out. Um, but also just spreading the word about, you know, what we're doing. Um, we have, you know, social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. So go give us a follow if you see something on there that you like are really resonate with or you really like, or if we're having a fundraiser or something, um, you know, blast it out there to your fr friends and family. Donate, you know, we're always open to donations, corporate sponsorships, uh, you know, just different things. You know, I, I don't really like to cap the opportunities that like we could possibly do. So if anybody is interested, long story short, if anybody's interested uh, and don't really, you don't really know how you could help minorities in aquaculture, like reach out to me and we can figure out a way. Yeah, we'll definitely leave out links and other resources um, for this episode. You can go to our website for all of that. Imani and I will have some resources ready for you guys over there. I like to end the episode with some quick fire sort of lightning round last thoughts at the end. So okay. ready? Yeah. Okay. What is the best advice you ever received? Ooh, best advice I ever received was that every day when you wake up, you have to be happy with your life. Nobody else. There was just like a time where, you know, um, I was like really upset about, you know, um, I was asked to change my major um, because they, you know, didn't think that I was uh, smart enough to complete it, to complete a marine biology major. And I walked out of that meeting, you know, obviously shattered and in tears. And my mom, you know, was on the phone. And I thought she was going to be really mad at what happened. But she said, you know, um, who has to wake up, you know, when you graduate, who has to wake up every day? You or them? And I said, me. And she said, okay. And so after you graduate, you know, who has to go to your job every day? You or them? And I said, me. And I and she said, you know, and lastly, like when you graduate, who has to pay your bills? You or them? And I said, me. And she said, then don't, it doesn't matter what they say. Like do what you gotta do, do what's like in your heart, do what your passion is. And that'll take you places that you can you can't even imagine. And it was then it was like I think that was the summer before my junior year, and so yeah, I really like started to like really hone in on what I wanted to do, and that really kind of gave me a little bit of spark to to really finish it out and really figure it out. She's a smart lady, that <laughs> mom, my dears. She loves it. Black. She loves it. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, I would say. Just keep going, sis. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, obviously you can look back at your younger self and be like, oh my God, like she was this. I can't believe I did that, all this stuff. And trust and believe, like I am one person who I have a rap sheet of things that I could be embarrassed about or, you know, whatever, be shame. You know, I held a lot of shame in myself that I did or didn't do. But I think, you know, everything happened for a reason. If none of those things happen. If I didn't go through those hardships, if I didn't learn the hard way, um, then I wouldn't have learned all of the skills and just like all of the things and really just like about myself that I needed to know to be in the position that I'm in today. So yeah, younger self, you know, I wouldn't change anything about her. I wouldn't, you know, really tell her anything because clearly she, she was on a mission, even though she was a little bit of a hot mess, but that's okay. She she got us to where we needed to go. And we're I'm proud of her for that. 
Yeah, she's doing all right. She's doing all right. She's she's okay. <laughs> now, when I came up with this question for so the question is favorite piece of tech that you use at work every day, but you're not currently working at a farm. I I was always interested of like tech in an aquaculture farm. So mm-hmm. kind of thinking back to your old self in the yeah. in the fish farming world, what was your favorite piece of tech to work with? That's a hard one. Hmm. I guess, I, okay, this is going to sound like people are probably going to laugh, but um, the, I think the oyster tumbler is like pretty cool. <laughs> like, I, I think that it's, um, it's it, it was like always like such a hard part of the day, you know, you had to go out and get back and get bags or, you know, get cages or whatever. And then like, you know, load them into the, um, you know, into the, you know, little, I wouldn't say little, but like the hopper and then it would like go and then you have to like, you know, pull out totes and stuff. It just was so mindless. You know, like I said before, I don't really, I I don't really mind the physicality of aquaculture. I actually really love it. It's actually really good for me. So that really was like, I got the physicality of it, but like also kind of got to like zone out because it was just such, it's a conveyor belt. You just, you know, you're pulling totes, closing them, putting them back in, you know, it's a, it's a very like, um, you kind of have to like keep your mind going all the time. Cause you've got to like really look at, um, oh, this is filling up or whatever. So you have to like be really attentive. And like, I always like really gravitated towards things that like really demanded my attention. Um, Cause having ADD, that's something that like I really battle with. So um, having my mind in 20 different places is actually very good for me because I can, I have to remember and I have to use like little tools to like help me um, remember and stay on top of things. So yeah, I would say the Tumblr. I know you sound very Zen about it. (laughs) I know I said like in the beginning, it was going to be a quick fire, but I'm loving all of the explanations. Also, it's also my fault because I, I like to ask follow-ups, but um, this is the last one, I promise. Okay. Favorite fish pun or joke? Oh, see, I, I thought about this and I don't really have any good ones, but um, it's, it's, it's not really like a, a fish joke. It's, <laughs> so I, when I was working at Hudson Valley, they gave us these like koozies and they were, it was like, you bet, you bet your ass. Like, and so it was like R R A S. That's a good one. That's the one. I like that one. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy lady, but thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I've had such a great time talking to you. Um, this has been really fun. So thank you so much again. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Women in North American Aquaculture podcast. I'm so honored to share another great episode with you guys. And just so you know, we plan on celebrating March and Women's History Month in a big way. We have plans for bonus episodes, new articles, and details about our virtual summit that you can look forward to. So along with all the episode highlights, links, photos, and more extras from this episode, you can check out our website aquaculturenorthamerica.com slash women for all new content headed your way. Of course, we'd like to thank our program sponsor, Merck Animal Health. Together, we can ensure welfare and sustainability for aquatic species. See you soon.